0: Welcome to Messages and More, a podcast channel of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. This channel plays our weekly sermons and other content relevant to our church community.
1: Good morning, boys and girls. I am so glad that you guys are here today. I am Miss Bethany, and I have a fun message to share with you today. Did you know that today is the first day of Advent? and you might have noticed that Christmas is coming up in a few weeks and you might see a lot of different decorations and things happening. If you look around, even in here we have some reds and greens and maybe in your neighborhoods you have Christmas lights that have started to come up. Maybe you've decorated some things in your home. You'll start to hear some familiar sounds. Have you guys been decorating? Have you raised your hand if anybody's been decorating for Christmas? A few of you, okay. Yes, it's time. This is the beginning of preparation. We prepare for Christmas. And as we share today um, here at church, we also want to prepare our hearts for Christmas um, into this Advent season. And so you'll see a lot of special special messages that go around during this season. And one thing is that you guys might, too, I don't know if you guys ever seen anything like these before. What are these? Anybody know? Any ideas? What are those? yeah, these are Christmas cards. This is one way that during the holiday seasons we share different messages with each other, right? We can send, this one has a fun, one of my friends who wrote a note and shared me all about the things that are going on in her life, and we send messages to each other. Um, now, back in the Bible, God sent us messages in a lot of different ways too. They weren't quite through Christmas cards though, Um Many, many years before Jesus came to the earth as a baby, God would send people called prophets to come and to deliver special messages to his people. Some of these prophets were people like Isaiah and Jeremiah. And so God, God's people had been waiting a very, very, very long time for the coming Messiah. And during this time, when these prophets had come, things were really messy, God's kingdom was divided. Kingdoms were fighting against each other, um, and things were not going well. Um, And some of these kings tried to do the right thing, but some of them, they did not. They did not um, trust God. And so one king that we're going to talk about today is named Ahaz, and he worried because things did not look like they were going his way. But God told Ahaz not to worry, to trust him. But King Ahaz did not trust God. He wanted to do things on his own. He relied on the things that he saw and the things that were around him. But thankfully, God doesn't rely on people to be perfect or to always get things right in order for his plans to happen and to come through. Because God is faithful, and he is all-powerful and mighty. And so God told Isaiah to tell the king a message about the future. He said, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and, ye, and we and will call him Emmanuel. And later he shares, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, the Bible is God's true word, and it tells us Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. God already knew that he would send us his son to be with us in a way that we would never experience before. So during Christmas, as we start Advent today, um, we get to celebrate Jesus because God always keeps his promises, and he does what he says he would do. And we can trust and have hope. We can have hope today. Um, not in earthly kings or armies or people, but we can have hope in God. The Bible tells us that the Lord, those who hope in the Lord, will not be disappointed. And Jeremiah shares, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. So this morning, we are going to light our first candle on our Advent wreath, the candle of hope. So I'm going to have one volunteer come up with me. Hold on. And we're going to light our candle. And then after we light our candle, we're going to come back and sit down. And those that are in the stands with us in the sheets are going to help sing our candle song together. And then we will pray. Um, And I have a special treat for you guys afterwards, okay?
0: Well, good morning again, and yes, we are going to uh, release the kids to go to Sunday school, but uh, due to the holiday weekend, please note that it is only pre-K and kindergarten today. So uh, for those of you that are a little older, you get to join us and stay with us this morning uh, as we dig into God's Word. So if, uh, if you were not here earlier, uh, if you were not here earlier when I introduced myself, I'm Bruce Druksma, and I'm the senior pastor here. And we are glad you are here joining us for the first Sunday in Advent. Uh, Advent is that time of year where churches around the world prepare for Christmas to celebrate the birth of our Lord. And the theme is generally hope on the first Sunday of Advent, hope. And as you can tell, we're celebrating that and we're gonna celebrate that further by digging into God's word. And we're gonna start in Mark chapter one, but before we get there, and so that's kind of your warning, if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn there to Mark chapter one, that's where we'll be. And we're, we're doing this series called Now Not Yet. And I wanted to take some time to kind of explain what that is and where that came from and, and kind of how we we landed on that. and. Um, and you can see if you look that uh, at, our, at our graphic on the screen, which was up there and will be up there again, that we, we've kind of gone with a Christmas tree with presents under it. For obvious reasons, right? It's, it's, we're celebrating Christmas. Christmas trees, presents under it, a common theme. But I, I also want us to kind of think of it this way. As we talk about now, not yet, there's this idea in Scripture that there were some passages, some some verses from the Old Testament, from the prophetic books that carried with it a meaning for them in that moment, a now understanding, but also a not yet, that this will come to pass later. There's more to it. And some of that was really obvious that they understood, and some of it was less obvious. And, and kind of the, the illustration that I want us to think of is that Christmas tree. And if you remember back to, for some of you, this is yesterday. For some of you, this was a little farther back than that. But remember back to when you were a kid, and that first present that with your name on it got stuck under the tree. That's the now. That's the first realization of what that gift is. You realize there is a gift waiting for you. And you look at that present, and maybe you are very creative, and you you know you you pick it up you weigh it with your hands maybe you shake it when i was a kid it was the ideal gift was legos so shaking was a good indication of whether or not i was getting the ideal gift right and so you'd shake it hopefully you don't hear shattering tinkling of glass but you you know you, you maybe and so there's this initial realization that there's a gift that's the now but there's also that understanding that it's not yet there it hasn't been fully realized it hasn't been fully actualized, and so later, I don't know when your family does Christmas presents, if it's Christmas Eve, if it's Christmas Day, but that day that you open the present and you, you take the wrapping paper off, and now there's a further realization, oh, it was Legos, or maybe a bag of rice, who knows, right? It was that thing that you, you were looking forward to, and you, you unwrap it, and you have that realization. But there's also another later realization, Right? When as a kid, you finally start utilizing that gift, you start playing with that toy, you build the Lego set, whatever it is, right? There's, there, there's this continual realization of this. And that's, that's kind of the idea that we have going on here is that God in his word will give something to somebody at a time and they might never fully realize it. And they might think that what they have is the totality of what was being said, and then as we move forward in time, we'll see God continue to bring us back to that theme, to that idea, and there's a further, deeper understanding, another unwrapping, another realization. And that's kind of where we're going here, and we're going to be looking at these passages in the Old Testament, and kind of how they, they came into being as, underst- as being understood about Jesus and his birth and, and my goal is that we can take that then and go, and what is my realization of that today? What is the way that I can take this idea, this God-given, scripturally guided idea, and apply it to my life today? So that's, that's kind of where we're going with this. That's kind of the idea, uh, what we're doing. And so this year as a church, we're going to go back to the now-not-yet ideas of Christmas. What was God doing in Israel at the time when he was pointing to them to the coming Messiah? What was he doing through Christ on earth when his Messiah, when Jesus Christ came? And and what is God calling us to today in light of all of this? So let's begin. And this morning, as I said earlier, we're going to start with Mark chapter 1, the first four verses. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so we, here we have the Gospel of Mark starting, and it's an, it's an odd one to start our Christmas season with, because it starts with not Jesus. It starts with John the Baptist. And it starts when John the Baptist, who is you know, just a little older, marginally older than Jesus... In fact, if we read other gospel accounts, we'll know that Mary, when she first finds out, she is going to have Jesus. When she first is pregnant, she goes and greets her cousin, Elizabeth, and the baby, John the Baptist, leaps in her womb. So not only are they close in age, they're within a year. They're months separated. And all of a sudden, Mark jumps forward, and we're at the time of John the Baptist preparing the way. But Mark is pointing us to something very significant, and it really is part of our Christmas story, not because it takes place at the time of the birth, but because this is how Mark chooses to start his gospel, chooses to reveal to his audience who the Messiah, who Jesus is. And he goes to this passage in Isaiah. So here we have the gospel of Mark starting out with the prophecy of a voice calling from the wilderness, And a voice that for Israel is a reminder of the voice of God calling out to them in the midst of their pain. And so our first sign of hope this morning is that sign that hope, this hope of Jesus exists in the midst of our pain. Hope exists in the midst of pain. Hope by its very definition is a forward-looking attribute. Now we can hope for things in the midst of good things. Again, back to our kid at the Christmas tree. They're getting gifts and they can hope for more gifts. But when do we really feel that hope? We really want that hope when we're in the midst of challenge, in the midst of trouble, in the midst of pain. That's really when hope becomes the thing we desire. And it is, by definition, a forward-looking attribute. We want something that is not realized yet. And when do we most desire hope? When we feel like we cannot go on. We want hope in the midst of a cancer diagnosis. We want hope in the midst of finals week. We want hope in the midst of that phone call. We want hope in the midst of a dark, dark night where we're struggling with something. That's when hope is truly desired. That's when we want hope. We want hope when the outcome we desired didn't happen. We want hope when life seems hopeless. Israel throughout their history had plenty of times when life seemed hopeless. And so they were looking for hope in their Messiah. And and Mark, in his gospel, starts with these two quotes. And it's really two quotes. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, is really from two distinct passages. The first is from Malachi, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And the second one is from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And both of these prophets, both Malachi and Isaiah, are active in Israel at a time when they needed hope. They were active in times of crisis. And, and that was a pattern. You know, rarely did you have a prophet show up in a time when things were going well, right? When, even, in, even in times when things were going well, look at, look at David when he is on the throne and, and Israel is really at the epitome of its of its existence. They are unified, they're unified under a king whose heart is after the Lord. And there's very little reference to prophets except what, when David sins. When David sins with Bathsheba, then Nathan the prophet shows up. We see prophets are constantly showing up in times of crisis And, and for Isaiah, Isaiah shows up when Israel is in rebellion. Israel is in rebellion against God, they've divided into two kingdoms and he is specifically working with the northern kingdom, with the kingdom of Israel, and they are in rebellion against God. And Isaiah shows up and gives these words. He gives these words that, hey, you know, in spite of your rebellion, and and they know that they are facing exile. They're about to be shipped off. And he says, hey, God is still at work. There's hope. Even though life is, is falling apart and it's going to get worse, there's hope in your Messiah who will someday come. Someday your Messiah will come and you will hear a voice calling in the wilderness. And look at the terminology here. Imagine that you're facing the challenges of exile and the words of God are, make straight in the desert a highway. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. That is a message of hope that you need to hear. And so Isaiah is telling them in this moment, as you're facing exile, as your life is, as your world around you and your life is falling apart, there's hope. There's hope because God is gonna fix this. God is gonna reconcile this. God is gonna correct. And later on, we're gonna go fast forward in Israel's history and they're gonna uh, go off into exile and there they will uh, repent and some of them will come back. But when they come back, they'll find Israel demolished. They'll come back and their city of Jerusalem, the walls are torn down and the temple is, is laid waste. And that's when they come back and that's Malachi. That's when Malachi speaks up. He goes, you know, God brought you back, but there's more hope. And that's when Malachi says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And so for both of them, the message is clear. Hope is in God. Hope is in this Messiah. Hope is that God is going to restore that which is broken, that for a time, life has been falling apart, but, but eventually God will restore. Now, for the people of Isaiah, if they had come back with Malachi, they'd have said, this isn't what we were hoping for. We weren't hoping for a demolished temple and we weren't hoping for torn down walls. We were hoping that we'd come back to the glory days. That's... It's not exactly what it was, but it was still hope. It was hope in Messiah, hope in the Lord. And so Mark's audience is also in need of hope. Mark, the one who wrote the gospel, the reason he starts with this is he's reminding them of what God has done in the past, and he's pointing to their future. Remember that, the, that Mark is writing this gospel at a time when they're facing persecution. The church has been scattered this is the same Mark that we read about, that he, he was the cause of some division between Paul and Barnabas, and yet here he is now writing this gospel. We just finished up Colossians, and at the end of Colossians, we know that Mark is back with Paul. There's some reconciliation that has happened, and Mark is writing this and saying, hey, church, there's hope. This Messiah that they hoped for when they went to exile, this, this Messiah that they hoped for when they were rebuilding this temple, this Messiah was Jesus. And as you face persecution today, church, that Messiah came and we have hope in that same Messiah. And for us, the reminder is the same. Whatever pain we face today, tomorrow, or next week, we remember, we remember the hope that is in Jesus Christ. His faithfulness in generations past, his faithfulness in our own past, and we remember that as we face the challenges of today, This is the gospel. This is the good news for us. We have hope. And Mark is really clear. Where do we find this hope? He starts with this. The beginning of the good news. That's gospel. That's the word. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Where is our hope today? Why is hope the way we start Advent? Because it reminds us of the Messiah. The reason Jesus was born was to be our Messiah. That is where our hope needs to live. Our hope exists in the same place it did for the Israelites back then. Our hope is found in our Messiah. Hope exists in the Messiah. And for for Israel, the Messiah was a promise that carried them through many challenging times. Through the exile, as we already talked about, through their return, uh, all the way through Israel's history, at times when life seemed to be falling apart, there was always that hope in Messiah. There's going to be a Messiah. The Messiah is going to come. And Messiah in the Old Testament means anointed one. And throughout the Old Testament, we'll see Messiah used many times to refer to not just the coming Messiah in Jesus Christ, but other other ways, anybody who was anointed kings and prophets, their Messiah, their Messiah. But they had that capital M Messiah. They had that ultimate Messiah. Someday a Messiah is going to come, the, the, the ultimate Messiah. And Mark, for reasons that are unknown completely to us, doesn't really use that term very much for Jesus. And one of the reasons we think he didn't is because there was a lot of connotation, specifically nationalistic connotation around Messiah, that by the time Jesus shows up, they've kind of piled all this baggage on Messiah. All this idea, some of it was from Scripture and accurate and appropriate, but some of it wasn't. And they had piled all this stuff. And so in Mark's gospel, Jesus himself seems hesitant to use the term Messiah. In Mark chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, Peter identifies Jesus as the Messiah, the Messiah. And Jesus warns them not to tell anyone this. So why? Why is Jesus so hesitant? Why is Mark so hesitant to use such a significant word? Well, Because of all of this baggage, all this stuff had been built up. The people of Israel were looking forward to the day when God would send a Savior, a Messiah, to come and rescue them. And as with any community, the way they interpreted that was because of what they were facing. And what Israel was facing at the time was this Roman occupation. And so they had piled on all of this nationalistic idea that just like the people of Isaiah's time looked forward to, a time when they would be restored to Israel, but didn't think that that would include the demolition of their city, the people of Israel at the time of the gospel writing, the time of Jesus, were not looking for a Messiah to come and do what Jesus did. They were looking for a a Messiah to come and and revolt, to lead a political rebellion, to turn against Rome. And so all of this baggage as a community had been piled on this idea. And, And to give you an illustration, we do the same thing. We do the exact same thing. We, we, we mytholi, myth, mythologically add things. Uh, I, I think that's a word. If not, I'm going to make it up. We, we, we add things to. We add baggage to. And, and I'll give you an example of the way we've done it in the past. And one of the ways we've done that is George Washington. George Washington in the famous, I cannot tell a lie statement. I did not cut down the cherry tree. Right? We've, we've all heard about this story, about how George Washington was such an honorable man that he, he, when he damaged his father's cherry tree, he had to go to him and fess up. And as far as we can tell, at best we can say we don't know if it happened, but it probably didn't. Because the first time we see it is in the fifth edition of a biography by a guy who never met George Washington. And so here, George Washington has died and, and, and he can't be consulted. There was little known about his childhood and he writes this biography about George Washington. And he writes this that biography with the intent of arguing that it was because of his childhood character that George Washington was the best president we ever had. But he doesn't have any stories from his childhood to point to his quality character. And all of a sudden, in the fifth edition, this story of a cherry tree shows up. And by now, we've just taken it kind of as fact. George Washington tried to cut down his dad's cherry tree and when confronted, he confessed. Now, maybe that happened, but a lot of evidence would say it didn't. And I don't do that to kind of tear down our, our founding fathers. Please don't take it that way. I do that to say, people do this all the time. We add baggage to things because of what we want. And in in this case, and by the way, I do see the irony in somebody arguing for somebody's integrity and honesty and lying and creating a story to argue for somebody's integrity and honesty. I, I do see that in this story. But that's kind of the same idea of what was happening with Messiah, only now they're doing it looking forward instead of looking back. What they wanted in a Messiah was a Messiah that fit their needs and their wants and their desires. And what they wanted was to overthrow Rome. And so this myth-building around the Messiah, they had piled on and piled on misunderstandings until the image of the Messiah was not entirely the same as what God wanted to do. And add to that the reality that when Jesus shows up as the Messiah, there are these other pieces of Scripture that people had entirely missed the Messianic, the story of Jesus. There are, there are verses in the Old Testament that we don't realize are about Messiah until Jesus shows up and says, by the way, that, that was about me. And so we have, we have a bunch of things going on that lead to this confusion that, that when Jesus shows up as the Messiah, he's very different than what they were looking for. They were looking for a king and the first thing that shows up is a baby. That's the sign of hope. The first sign of hope is this, this baby in a manger. And as we continue with Isaiah, look at the difference between the depictions of the the Messiah in Isaiah. And as we read the gospel, see the difference in what the people wanted of their Messiah in the gospels. Isaiah 40, verses 6-11. through A voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You bring good news to Zion. Go up on a high mountain, you who bring good news to Jerusalem. Lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. And so here Isaiah is giving them a sign of hope. Hey, the Messiah is coming. God is going to come back to his temple. And he's going to look like a shepherd. And he's going to care tenderly. And he's going to nurture. The Messiah here in Isaiah is one of gentleness bringing the good news, the gospel to the world, a voice of comfort. And we get this image of a Messiah that's very different because later on we're going to see in the Gospels that when Jesus shows up, we see it at the triumphal entry, right? On Palm Sunday when they they yell, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're looking for him to come in and, and make right things in the way they want. And later as we travel through Holy Week with Jesus, we'll see people's attitudes toward him change when he doesn't do the things they want. The Messiah that the public want in the Gospels is a political leader who will overthrow the Roman Empire. And in Mark 14, we see Peter slash the ear of a servant when Jesus is arrested. And Jesus responds by showing his way is different. Verse 48 of Mark 14, am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you did not arrest me but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Jesus was more concerned with who the Messiah was supposed to be than what people wanted the Messiah to be. And our gospel is no different today. We have, like the people of Israel, piled all this baggage on top of our gospel. Jesus shows up and he is concerned with who, who the Bible said the Messiah was supposed to be, who he was, who God had called him to be was the was was Jesus' primary concern, not what people wanted him to be. And that should be our focus too. When we bring the gospel, we bring the gospel of Jesus to the world, not a gospel of Jesus and, not a gospel of of American Christianity. We bring, we point people to Jesus, not to religion. Our gospel is no different. Our Christmas message to the world around us should be a message of hope in our Messiah. But instead, in our world today, only 28% of Americans have a favorable view of evangelical Christians. And by the way, that stat, that 28%, that includes Christians and how they see other Christians. In taking in all of, all of Americans they polled, I mean, in a, a statistical percentage, whatever, but they included Christians in that. And they said, what, how many of you have a favorable view? 28% said they did. And then they asked only those who were non-Christians the same question. And the number dropped to 18%. Only 18% have a favorable view outside of the church. We have some ground to make up. And in another study done in the book, Rise of the Nuns, the data points out that this negative perception is because Christians are perceived to be overly entangled with law and politics, filled with hateful aggression and consumed with greed. And we can talk about how we got there and we can point the finger and we can say it's the way we're portrayed, it's not the way we actually are. And we can say, but the reality is that's where we're perceived, And we're called to point people not to the church, not to religion, not to our form of worship, but we are called to point people to Jesus Christ. And the reality is, when you start asking people what they think of Jesus, those numbers go up considerably. Our call is not to point people to man-made institutions. Our call is to point him to Jesus, our Messiah. That is where our hope lies. Our hope lies in the Messiah. And our goal is to point people to Jesus because we as human beings, as human organizations, we will fail, but Jesus will not. And like Jesus, when he cared more about what he was, we should care more about pointing people to Jesus. Let us point to Christ like Isaiah does. We fight for biblical justice with tenacity. We care with shepherd-like tenderness and compassion. We point to and profess Jesus loudly, but we do so with the hope because in the end, we are like grass, and it is Jesus who stands firm. So we point to Jesus. We bring the hope of the Messiah who is faithful, hope for a Messiah who exists in the pain and the hurt of life. We point not to our church here or religious faith, but to Jesus Christ. The humility of the manger and the humiliation of sin on the cross brings hope. And I want you, lastly this morning, to remember that if you are in a spot of hurt and pain today, hope exists where you are today wherever you are, and we know we have a lot of people, as Ed prayed this morning, we have a lot of people in pain and hurting, and I want to take this opportunity to acknowledge that there's probably several people joining us this morning online because of where they're at, and we're glad you are joining us online this morning, but hope exists where we are in hurt and in pain. And ultimately, this is the message of Christmas that we want to bring to our neighbors, our friends, our family members, our classmates, and our coworkers. Those without Christ, we need to bring them hope where they stand today. How many of us couldn't use a little more hope and how many of our neighbors, our friends, our family members, our classmates need that same hope? Year after year, a study comes out around this time of year talking about the stress, the anxiety, the frustration of the holiday season and we stand here with hope that exists today, hope that we can bring to people hope in Jesus Christ. And we need them to experience the hope that shines through their darkest points. Again, from Isaiah chapter 40, 28 through 31. Do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is the hope we point to. We, hope, we point to Jesus because when every other system breaks down, our Messiah, Jesus Christ, stands firm and that Messiah is what gives us hope in the midst of pain because if we put our hope in man-made institutions or humans, we will be disappointed. And so in the same way, we need to point our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, not to ourselves, but to Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the one who will last, the one who will never let them down. And we need to do so with grace and truth. This is the Messiah. This is the hope that we point them to. Because Christmas is not just a story of a historic happening. Christmas is the story of Emmanuel, God with us. God is present with us, and that should bring us hope. But our message of hope is not a simple message like we see in the Hallmark movies. I saw a meme the other day that said, what has four plots, 19 characters, two settings, and one outcome? And it's every Hallmark movie. That's not what we're pointing to. We're pointing them to Jesus. We're pointing them to a hope that lasts. What is the good news that we point to? The good news for the people of Israel in the Old Testament was that despite their world falling apart, God was still in control and God would preserve his people. And the good news for the people reading Mark's gospel was that Jesus was the promised redeemer of God's people. That Jesus had died and been resurrected and had therefore fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament. And what is the good news for us today? The good news is that God is still at work. For those that we know in pain and hurt, the good news is that God is still on his throne and still deeply cares for us no matter what situation we face. And while the outcome might not be what we desire, we know he is good. And we know that God is continually at work. And so we point to Jesus Christ as the redeemer of his people yesterday, today, and forever. But Mark's focus was not only on the salvation of mankind. Mark's focus was also on the imminent culmination of the kingdom of God. His goal was not only that they would have this hope for someday, but they would have hope where they stood, that God's kingdom, as Matthew puts in the Lord's Prayer, God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. We bring not just a hope of looking forward to the future, we bring hope today And we just finished a series uh, called This We Believe. And we ended that series where we end this morning as well. This gospel that we believe, this good news that is for today, must impact our world. We have an incredible opportunity to bring hope to our friends, our coworkers, our classmates, and our neighbors by pointing them not to the, the trappings of Christmas, not to the hope of Hallmark, but to our Messiah, to Jesus Christ, And Jesus sits down and preaches his first sermon in Luke chapter 4 and he tells us the same thing. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me, Messiah, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were, on, were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And there's a lot in there, enough for an entire second sermon, which I will not subject you to this morning. But notice that Jesus' hope in his first sermon is not just a hope for eternity. Not just a hope that someday when you die, you get to be with Jesus. Jesus' hope was to, to, to impact his world where he stood. And we are called to do the same by pointing to Jesus. And then to bring that hope tangibly with the gospel to those in need around us. So look for opportunities to do those things for your neighbors, your friends, your classmates, your family members, and your coworkers. Bring the hope of Christmas to them. But don't pile on all the other things like the world does. Bring that clear hope that is found in our Messiah, in Jesus Christ. Be a message of tangible hope. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the hope that is found in the birth of Jesus Christ, the hope that is in Messiah. God, the one who was anointed to bring the good news. God, help us to bring that good news and God, not to pile on all the other things, but God, to point to you and to you alone. God, we pray that this hope would spread, God, through this community, God, through our state, through our country, and through our world. God, would you bring the hope to the world this Christmas season? And we pray this in your name. Amen.
2: Thank you, worship team. And thank you, Bruce, for that wonderful message. I got a couple of announcements here this morning. We are back uh, Wednesday night, family night. We are having our meal again. We're having uh, Juana. We're having adult Bible studies. It will be an awesome time. And the whole goal of that night is to fix our eyes on Jesus and have uh, kids, youth, and children Fix their eyes on Jesus. That's our whole goal with doing the Wednesday night family night. We're back. And then also, Gather to Grow group starting on December 13th. You could text the word membership to sign up for the class, but we have two classes already ready to go for church membership. If you are newer here, if you're interested in church membership, we would love you to Come to this class and to learn how to become a member and what our church is all about so that you can become a member and more involved in our church. It's an amazing class. I might take it, but then I'm going to have youth group at that time. So we'll see if I become a member or not. But either way, we have that. And also, if you have prayer concerns at all, just be sure to reach out to Ed Hoseth. He's in the back over there. If you have prayer requests at all, reach out to him. His contact info, not on the screen, but that's okay. You can figure it out. I'm going to pass it off to Bruce. Uh, those are our announcements this morning, but thank you guys.
0: Yeah, and Luke, uh, we can talk individually about membership. I'll make sure you get, uh, get covered. Uh, yeah, and please do. If, if there's a way that we as a church can, can pray for you, talk to Ed, talk to myself, uh, we would love to do that. As we end this morning, from Ephesians chapter three. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that has worked within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Merry Christmas. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to Messages and More, a ministry of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. To find out more, visit us online at wevfree.org.